guys, welcome back to Yuya's Tired. On this episode, I have a special guest for you. I have Moya. And Moya is someone who really inspires me and really who I look up to in many ways. And she has a YouTube channel, which I would like her to discuss more about it. So Moya, tell the audience more about yourself. So hello everyone. Thank you so much for that um, introduction. Yeah, basically, she said it all. My name is Moyo. I have a YouTube channel called She Bites, where I talk about food, faith, and lifestyle. It's recipe videos, encouragement, and also some life, um, lifestyle vlogs. And yes, I'm just really interested in topics that have to do with justice, with God, and with food. So on this episode, it's not going to be the nicest topic. We're going to be discussing the Nigerian rape culture and the culture of condoning and allowing rape and not seeking justice for the victims. So the first question I want to ask Moyo is, Moyo, do you think there is a Nigerian rape culture? I mean, of course, that goes without even saying. And I think the problem with rape culture is that it's so ingrained in the way that we live and the way that we think that it's almost automatic. We don't think about, we don't see it as, you know, a problem. We see it as, like, tradition. We see that this is the way that we live. And that's the problem with culture and tradition. We, don't, we no longer question to say whether or not this is okay. We just follow it because it is traditional. Because this is how we've lived, and therefore this is how we should continue to live. And I think that's the biggest problem with rape culture, is that we're not questioning ourselves. We're not questioning our motives. We're not questioning why we think the way that we think. And so these kind of... um culture, this kind of way of thinking keeps getting perpetuated from generation to generation. The sad thing is that if you ask a five-year-old if you get raped, who is to blame? Probably she's going to say that both, have, both parties are to blame. Simply because that is the way that she's been brought up, that's the way she's been able to understand society around her. So she doesn't know that that's actually not the best way to think. Especially in the Nigerian context, there is this consistent idea of rape being as a being a crime of passion, when in reality mm-hmm. it is not. It is about power, and it's about power dynamics. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of women have had talks on how to avoid being raped, and I think that is that is just a symptom of our rape culture and of the way we look at rape. That this idea that rape is something that can be avoided by the victim. Yeah, definitely. It's something that's perpetuated. It's the, and the funny thing about it is that is how imbalanced it is. So you would think that as women are getting lectured on how to avoid rape, men will also be getting lectured on how to stop the rape pandemic that we're in right now. But it's such an unbalanced topic. It's like we're only going to teach you because you're the one who's going to suffer from it. But the person who's actually doing it, we're just going to leave them, keep saying boys with boys, keep letting them do whatever they want. Well, actually, the solution lies in actually solving the problem for the people who are perpetuating it. And it's funny because I've seen this a lot. I'm digressing a little bit here, but one of the major arguments Nigerian men have against this whole discussion is that no one talks about men being raped. No one talks about how, you know, it's not a balanced scale. If we had more opportunities to talk about men being raped, maybe it would be more of a balanced discussion. But I think one of the major things, as you said in rape, is the thing about power. And whenever there is kind of like a power discourse, whenever power is not unequal, levels, there's always going to be so much more destruction. And I think that the whole conversation about rape has to be a holistic one. 
if we're only attacking it from the women's side, if we're only telling women how to behave, it's never going to get anywhere. We're never going to see any kind of progress or solutions. We're still going to ha be having more people getting hurt and nothing coming from it. But where do you think the rape culture is coming from? Where, where do you think the root problem is? Um, honestly, I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it comes from, um, it's almost like a hidden symptom of our respect culture and our shame culture. So Nigerian culture, and I think West African culture, is very kind of anti-shame, very like, no matter what happens to you, don't let other people hear about it, they're going to laugh, about, um, they're going to laugh at you, deal with your problems yourself, and, you know, be stronger at the end of the day, your problems are not an excuse. In some way, that respect culture is good. But what it does is that it forces you to not hold people accountable for their wrongs. You're the one who's held accountable for whatever happens to you. If, especially in, from a um, patriarchal system where it's like, oh, the women are always to blame. So the problem is, when women are raped, it's kind of like, if you come out, you're going to um, disgrace your whole family. You're going to disgrace that person's family. Why don't you just, why are you trying to struggle for your rights? Why can't you just accept it? And don't you know other people have, been, have gone through this? You're not the first one who has gone through it. So I think it's kind of like oppression. It's an oppression to say that you don't have to talk about the issues they're going through. And it's such a lie because it's when we talk about the issues that we're going through, we prevent it from happening to other people. It, the, the most saddest thing is when you've been raped and you grow up and then you see your daughter being raped as well. Sadly, even by the same person, which happens. So I think that, that kind of, it's, it's hidden under the caveat of respect when it's actually oppression. I love the fact that you mentioned the patriarchy, especially, I don't, I think it's a Europe, it's more of a Yoruba thing of, or maybe it might be a general thing of, if a child does well, it's attributed to the father, but if the child does bad, mm. it's attributed to the mother. And that's the most, and I think it also reinforces rape culture in the sense that some, you're being violated, it means your mother did badly. Mm. So true. Another question I wanted to ask you is, do you think there are adequate legal protections for rape in Nigeria? Um, there isn't, and I think actually, even around the world, there's a problem with rape. There's a problem with any kind of sexual assault because of witnesses. I think the reason why a rape case can never even be, first of all, your, your case is never going to be heard. You have to have a very, very um, resilient family who has the money and the influence to be able to actually make your case heard. I think if you look at the example of Busala Dakolo, if she was anyone else, her case would never have made it to court, simply because of all the resistance that was happening. So and in the first place, rape culture in Nigeria is reinforced by the systems in place, by the judiciary and by the police, because they too are part of that rape culture. So they don't see rape as a crime per se. They'll ask you all the kind of foolish questions, where were you, what were you wearing, didn't you want it? Didn't you enjoy it? And so even in the system that are meant to protect these women, these men, everyone who is raped, they are actually part of that kind of negative culture. So even if you get past that point, you're like, no, I have a case, you went to the hospital, you have evidence. The thing is, how do you prove that it is rape? I've watched like a lot of Nigerian kind of law and order kind of movies, and that is always the biggest problem. Whoever the, the person against you is and if they have a good lawyer they're going to be able to prove that it you cannot prove that it is rape you cannot prove within reasonable doubt that it was forced upon you unless there's some kind of evidence unless there's some kind of video evidence and the problem with rape also is that there's usually um if, except in the case of gang rape 
there's usually not many other people who are around. And when it's even in the case of gang rape, you have two different sides. You have people who are going to testify against you and for you. And usually, the people who are against you are greater than the people who are for you. And so when you get into that kind of situation, there is no, um, let's say, in fact, you didn't win the rape case. But even if you did not win, the community doesn't come away thinking, oh, we have to be more careful. That wasn't a good thing. She's in pain. She's, she's struggling. Even though whatever the court, the court case was, the community comes away saying, oh, you see, she shouldn't have gone there in the first place. It was all her fault. Now we can all know that actually this is not a real thing. Never t- talk about your um, rape situation. And I think that is why it's so difficult for anyone to actually speak up about it. Even if they're confident enough to tell their family, they will never be confident enough to tell any kind of law enforcement because they know that their story will not be heard. They know they'll be laughed at. They know that they'll be dismissed. And I think there is this backlash that comes from the general public when you come out about rape. I, I, re- I monitored the, the Bukola Dakoli situation for a while. I looked at the way Nigerians were responding to it, and I was ashamed. Like, I'm not going to lie, I was ashamed to be Nigerian because of the things people were saying about her. Yes, there were, things, there were people who were definitely defending her, but... The people who were insulting her, they did it in such a graphic and disgusting way that I was just ashamed. I don't know about you. No, I completely agree. I think that I think that's why I feel of Nigerian Twitter. The problem with the way that Nigerians attack issues is that we don't talk about the issue, we talk about the person. We talk about a million and one reasons as to why the person um, could not have been what they claim to be. And I think that's the wrong way to attack um, issues like this. The thing is, we're talking about the issue. We're talking about how this could have happened and things that could have led up. It's fine if you have questions, okay? It's fine if you're wondering a couple of details. But another thing to attack the person, like because you think that the person wants this or that or that, that is the wrong thing to attack the person um, behind the issue. And I think that's, that's the thing that Nigerians get distracted with a lot. It's like, oh, she was and she did. And so therefore, didn't he, um, lots of people were saying, wasn't, wasn't, um, how is it possible? She blah, blah, blah during that whole time. And that is the major issue. Nigerians just like to make poke fun at everything without actually thinking about the impact it's having on the person. And some people have genuine questions that should be answered, but other people, they don't care. They really don't care about the situation. So they're just in it for clout. They're just in it for, to get, you know, more retweets and more likes and seem smart. But actually, they're just doing the most silly thing ever. I, I have to agree with you. Um, but that leads me on to my next question, which is, what are the misconceptions a lot of Nigerians have about rape? Um, I think this is a quite a big question to unpack. I, I think one of the main misconceptions, I'll say, especially from the side of the woman, is that you can... Rape can be your fault. You can bring it upon yourself. And so therefore you have, you can be blamed for rape. And I think that um, it is taking the power away from the, from the rapist to claim that the victim can be responsible. The rapist is not a human being who can think and control him or herself. And I think that's a fundamental problem. Because if we agree that human beings actually have autonomy and have control over themselves, you cannot say that someone else induce them to force someone else to be with them. It's just, it's, it's a contradiction. So I think that's the first problem. And it's the way that we're raised, okay? They tell girls, oh, you have to be careful to do this and that so they don't get raped. The problem with that thing is that it's not such a bad thing for mothers or fathers to warn their children about what is out there. But as they're warning them, they need to remind them that they're never the one responsible. It's the rapist that has a problem. 
So as with everything in life, we're always trying to avoid bad people. But when it comes to rape, we almost personify the, the wrong and make it seem as if you're part of the wrong. And then another thing is that people think that um, if you've gone along with things up to a certain point, you can no longer say no. And that's the whole content argument, which is no, is no. No doesn't mean convince me. No doesn't mean I'm not sure. No doesn't mean anything. No means no. But then it's almost as if women no longer have the right to say no after a certain point. I don't know if you get what I mean. It's such a lie. It's such... I don't know, like, it's like, we don't think this way with other things, like, we don't think this way with death. Or if someone came to your house to do something and we're like, um, um, it's fine, take care of it. understand the way that we view this kind of abuse. And I think it's actually spills into other aspects of abuse in, like, in Nigerian context as well. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. This reiteration of the idea that you could do something to avoid getting raped. When I don't think you can you as a victim can do that. There are people who get raped in the car. There are people who get raped in bikinis. It has absolutely nothing to do with where you are or who you... It has absolutely nothing to do with where you are because there are people who get raped in the comfort of their own houses. It all has to do with someone thought they had enough power to do this to you and get away with it. It's very premeditated. There are lots of psychological reports which show that rape is premeditated. Definitely, and I think we can see that in the recent cases of Uwa and Fashionon, basically people who were in their church, in their homes, on their own, doing nothing to indict or welcome or, you know, any of the things that people usually see as a reason for rape. And I think the more that we're able to speak about these issues, the more clarity is going to bring. And I think it's also the thing of how Nigeria has a modesty culture and modesty is not a bad thing, but it has to be a decision. You cannot force any kind of thing like that upon someone as a way to protect them from something that someone else is doing. The reality is that I think with the way our patriarchal society works, it's kind of like men make a mess and women have to clean up after it. And so that is why I guess that man wasn't even thinking from the point of view of like, oh, maybe men need to get their story straight. It was more like, oh, what can you women do to prevent yourself from getting into this kind of trouble? And I think it's been perpetrated over many, many years in our culture um, of how, you know, um, men do not have self-control, they do whatever they want, and then women clean up the mess. And I think the more that we actually have these conversations, the more that both men and women can see that that is not the case. That's actually a power issue, it's a control issue. It's, it's not just because she was wearing a short skirt or because she was Whatever that people like to say, it's actually because this person has a problem. This person has a problem with self-control. This person has a problem with understanding their boundaries. And society has actually told them that they can do whatever they want. They've seen people do it and get away with it. So they're just kind of saying, okay, why not? But we need to actually show control over your own actions, otherwise you won't pay for it. And I think that's what society has failed to do. Men just see the example of other people doing the same thing and getting away with it. So it's kind of like, why not? And then something I also wanted to discuss was particularly the church and this idea of moral superior, superiority amongst Nigerian pastors. Because I don't know about you, but I've met some very, very, very proud Nigerian pastors who sometimes have this personality that they're like, I'm above sin or I'm above mistake. I wanted you to talk on that for a bit. I think this question is really interesting because I have 
what's it called? I have just been talking about this normally earlier today um, because I think that, and it's the discussion I was having yesterday as well, the whole discussion about salvation, what happens when you get saved? I think a lot of Nigerian pastors make it seem as if you get saved and then you turn around 100%, you no, you no longer have any kind of desire to sin, you no longer struggle with things you struggled with before. And if you still struggle with those things, then you're actually a sinner. You were never saved. That is the way that they paint salvation. And so the whole thing is that the truth of the matter is that when we do get saved, yes, we are transformed and yes, we have a new life. Yet we still struggle with the things that we used to struggle with before. And until we're able to, I think even they don't understand it. They've, they've been saved, quote unquote, with this kind of mentality that therefore, you know, they're spotless. They can never sin. And whether or not they do sin, they're going to perpetuate the image that they can never sin. So if you're sinning, you feel like you're guilty, you're not really saved, you're not normal. And I think that something that's coming to our church, whether we want to or not, churches worldwide, is transparency. People are going to be disgraced soon. The truth is going to have to come out. Because until we can actually be true and raw about the true sin that we struggle with, we can never overcome. As we kind of have this kind of picture-perfect church, you know, on the outside looking in, everyone is wearing these long skirts, everyone is praising God, everyone is, you know, living that Christian life. But then in the background, they're struggling. In the background, they, they have all sorts of sins that they're trying to cover up. And so the issue is that we kind of have built a kind of church that hides our sin. When this whole not in my church thing started with Busula Dakolo, some people were coming up to me and saying that we should not air the church's dirty laundry outside. And I said, I agree with that, except the fact that the church has hidden a dirty laundry for too long. And the church has refused to deal with it, so now we're going out, and nothing is going to stop it. The church is supposed to be a symbol for actual moral upstanding for this community. And we've actually been the opposite in recent days. And it's not possible. This is God's church we're talking about. And so if we refuse to actually do something about it, he's going to be the one to reveal it. It's not possible. No one, the Bible says that no one without sin. We've all sinned. And Christ is our only salvation. So if you're telling me that you're not sinning by your own power and you're perfect, you're spotless, there's a problem. If we're pretending that all of us are kind of, you know, 100% saved and therefore we cannot do anything wrong, we can never fail, we're, we're no longer human. <laughs> Almost. There's a problem. God did not save us so that we can be this superhuman, um, walking on air, holier than our people. He saved us actually be true and real and relate with people who are the lowest, just as Jesus did when he was on this earth. And I think if we don't model ourselves um, after Jesus, there's going to be a huge problem. So a while ago, there was a debate on whether women should preach or not. And um, one of the most significant arguments in favor of women preaching and women being pastors was that in churches which had female pastors and female leaders, there was, there was a greater tendency to address sexual assault and, and other crimes in the church towards women. And I think that's why I believe, one of the reasons I believe it's very important that there should be more female leaders in the church because when there are more female leaders in the church, we can discuss these issues more and we can air it out in the church so it doesn't come out. Because the problem is we've not had enough female leaders or we've not had enough accountability in the church. So it has, so it is coming out as you said, but I do believe by having more female leaders, we will be able to air it out more within the church. Definitely. I think that it's, it's a thing in, in the church and in society in general. Whenever you don't have representation of people, of women in certain places, the issues are going to be pushed under the rug. And I think people always talk 
how men are also abused. But I hardly see men open up to talk about the abuse. And I think it's also because of the way that men are raised. But when you have women in these positions, they're more likely to actually talk about it in the through and therefore expose the issues that are going on. They're more likely to have to you know, fight for their rights and see that actually this has to stop. And so I definitely agree that increasing that diversity in terms of women will bring more women's issues into the light. And whenever you kind of have, I think in the church in general in Nigeria, we have like women pastors, but mostly pastors' wives. So yeah. they're not as if they're there because of their husbands, and therefore they have to submit to whatever their husbands say. Can then actually be voiced for the issues that they actually go through and things that they see in the church that are not okay. Yes, I, I, I think there is this mama pastor approach. I would say I can count mm. on one hand the pastors I know who were pastors, but their husbands were not. Um, also, another thing I wanted to discuss was purity culture in Nigerian churches. And I want to explain, purity culture is this emphasis on purity as your basis of salvation. It's kind of like the prosperity gospel, except it basically preaches that be a virgin and everything will come, all of God's glory will come to you, which I don't think is a fair thing to do. And being And your sexual purity is the basis of your salvation. And I think in a lot of Nigerian churches, they have that attitude. I was wondering if you could talk more about that. I definitely agree. And, you know, the sad thing about it is that you cannot preach um, a virginity culture. Let me even call it that. When 70% of your church are not virgins. I don't know if you get where I'm coming from. Yeah. You cannot drum this kind of facade of culture on people's ears when they've already been exposed to something completely different. I think that it's almost likely with a level of salvation. It's the whole moral argument. And you know, the Bible says that if we live by the law, we live by the law. But if we live by the law that sets us free, it's a completely different thing. It's almost like, it's the whole thing of how we mix tradition and religion. It's the whole thing of how many laws can we put in place to make sure that you condone to kind of our pretty church religiosity to make us look like were good when actually we're struggling. So I think the whole thing of this virginity thing, there's nothing wrong with virginity, there's nothing wrong with um, shooting people the value of virginity, but I think that it's something we're saying to people if they do not meet up to your standards because Jesus never did that. There's something wrong with you making it seem as if if you're not a virgin, then God doesn't, doesn't want anything to do with you. As if you've kind of missed the mark because of something that already happened in your life. I just think that in a very broad sense, we kind of put the virginity on this pedestal, not necessarily because Jesus did, but because our culture does. We have the culture where it's almost like if you're not a virgin, if you don't have a virgin daughter, you don't have a virgin, blah, 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 you know, there's a problem. And it's also disproportionately on women. Funny enough, yes. so at least you think that at least in church it should be on a level plane, but still it's not. It's really not. They teach the girls and the women fellowships more about virginity than they teach the men fellowships because it's a cultural thing more than it is a Jesus thing. So we need to separate our tradition from our faith. And the problem is that it just keeps perpetuating. It just keeps pushing people away from church because it's kind of like I can never meet up to the standard, so what is the point of me being here? Yeah. It also perpetuates a rape culture. And I'll explain why. In that, I remember it 
when I was quite young, I used to listen to a very famous Nigerian pastor who I shall not name. And he was talking about sexual purity and he was saying that that the sin, the sin of having sex before marriage or, get, or engaging in sexual immorality. And then he said that that's the one thing God will such a difficult sin for God to forgive. And he says that the only people he might, maybe, if he, if God is feeling merciful, he will forgive, are uh, the people who get raped. And, wow. And I heard that. And when I heard that, it was like, I was a bit anxious. I was a bit anxious because I was like, wow, like, I need to avoid this because I don't want to go to hell. And it was... It was just so weird that now that I'm reading the Bible and studying it myself, and the fact that he said that, it just shows how much we still perpetuate a rape culture, even within the church, by just keeping this idea of purity. And the funny fact is there are a lot of people who they can't keep their purity because losing their purity was not their choice. I'm, I'm saying in quotation marks. And I think the church still doesn't accommodate for people like that. Definitely. It's such an issue. I can't even believe that someone would say something like that because it's so unscriptural. It's so unbiblical. And that's the problem when people think that personal experience or their views are more important than the views of the Bible. The whole thing about this purity culture is that, in general, sexuality, sexual sin is viewed as a bigger sin than anything else in Nigerian Christian culture. It's like, if you steal, mm-hmm, God can forgive you. If, if, you're, if you, you know, you're promiscuous, if you're being sexually, sexually immoral, of course not. What do you mean? And that is simply because of our culture. That's another thing, you know, it's the whole thing about how Christianity is different depending on where you are. And in a sense, it has to be because, you know, we have different mannerisms, we have different things that we like, we have different kinds of music that we understand, that we enjoy. But the Bible can never, if we were editing the Bible to, to suit our own geographical location, there's going to be a big problem. And we're going to be hurting more than we're harming. We cannot preach or teach our tradition as what the Bible says. So another question I have for you is, how do you think Nigerian church, churches should handle sexual assault? Um, I think that we handle the same way that we handle every other kind of sin that stains. I think that it should not be condoned. I think that the victims should have counseling. They should have safe space where they can speak up. And I think that the rapist, the perpetrator, should be held to account, should be brought to book. If there is, you know, if there is rape, why are we trying to cover up for that person? Why are we trying to hide that person? I understand that sometimes just deal with things differently than um, the rest of society does. And we handle everything with grace. But we should not cover up for people who are doing wrong. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Yes, it's forgiveness, but it's also justice. We should let our anger take over from us. We make people not actually hold people accountable. Because if we don't hold them accountable, there's going to be no, no um, right living. So I think definitely it should not be condoned. We should ensure we have safe spaces for the victims. We should ensure that they get the care and the help that they need. So that they know that the church is actually for them. They know that actually the people of God are standing with them in their pain not condoning what they've gone through. And the final question I want to ask you is quite a loaded one. Does God forgive rapists? And if so, should they still go to prison? <laughs> I think this is an issue with a lot of things. Um, of course, the first answer is, of course, God forgives rapists. Of course, he does. God forgives us for everything that we do. 
But like I think the Bible says, accept blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which is actually the sin of unbelief. But everything that we do apart from that, everything that we do believing and trusting in God, we can be forgiven for. There's no sin that is great enough for God not to forgive us for. And when we come to Christ, God separates us as far away from our sins as the east is from the west. That's an unmeasurable distance. So we're super far away from it. One thing that is a misconception is that in Christian society, it means that forgiveness equals you're not going to pay for the sins that you committed. I think that is wrong. Jesus forgives us. Okay, another example would be, let's say you hurt someone in your life and then you go to God for forgiveness. God will forgive you. That doesn't mean that that person's hurt is going to disappear. That doesn't mean that you don't have to go back to them and apologize. And it's the same way in this case. God forgives rapists. God forgives every single person. That doesn't mean that they should not still take out the time to heal. Um, to, they should not still basically bear the responsibility for the sin that they committed. God has forgiven them, but the person who they raped is not going to instantly, you know, bounce back to normal. No, that person is going to go through a lot. In the same way that the rapist has to also go through a season that they actually have to understand and pay, not necessarily pay, but go through a kind of suffering that actually makes them sensitive to their sin. Because I don't think that people think that God's justice is just kind of like, oh, okay, you're forgiven, go, you're free. God is a God of justice. We see it all the way through the Bible. And in the New Testament, we see God forgiving people and loving people like never before. But he does not erase the consequences. He doesn't erase the struggles of life that we still go through. He doesn't. And I think that, you know, even for that rapist, being in prison or suffering for the crime that they committed is also grace from God. It's also God giving them the time to actually repent from their sins that they committed. I think, you know, that sometimes Christians of nowadays make it seem as if, you know, Jesus was just so powerless, just going around, oh, you're forgiven. No. Jesus also spoke against the Pharisees. Jesus also spoke against people who were doing wrong in the temple and who were perpetrating bad things. He forgave those who had a willing heart to actually start a new. But remember the tax collector. Jesus said, you're forgiven. And he said, I'm going to give back more than I took from them. When we are forgiven, it makes us even more willing to, to make amends as much as possible. So that time when prison will actually be an opportunity for the rapist to actually start life again. Not, you know, us condemning the person to hell. No, God forgives them. He forgives them, but they must still serve their time. Thank you, Moya. That was the perfect answer to the question. I completely agree with that answer. And I, and I don't think it's okay for people to say, you're forgiven, but you, so you don't get a punishment. You deserve to get punished for whatever you've done. That's the end of this episode. I want to thank Moya for being on here. Thank you so so much, Moya, for being on here. Thank you for being on Yo-Yo's time. Guys, I want you to go and go to her YouTube channel. She bites. She's got amazing content on there. My favorite one is the one on the year of return. And it, re it really enlightened me, especially visiting.